Welcome to Season 2, Episode 16 of the Bolt from the Blue podcast. As you are no doubt aware, Manchester City were beaten 2-0 by the Wolf. Guys, Pep Guardiola made two changes from the midweek cruise against Zagreb. Here's the lineup: Ederson, Walker, Otamendi, Fernandinho, Cancelo, Rodri, Gundogan, David Silva, Maris, Aguero. And on the bench, we had Bravo, Jesus, Zinchenko, Angelino, Bernardo Silva, Philly Foden and uh, Eric Garcia. Now, we're going to start off with welcoming our two guests. First of all, King of the Kimpax writer and City Matters Committee member, Colin Savage. How are you doing, Colin? Well, uh, I've had better days. Let's put it that way. Were you at least buoyed by the continuing soap opera that is Man United? Well, yes, but then I was brought back down to earth again by the Pittsburgh Steelers losing in overtime to the uh, great rivals, the Baltimore Ravens. I don't know how many, if anyone's listening over in the States, but there is absolute hatred between the two teams, the, the Ravens and the Steelers, to a depth that I don't think even exists in this country between, say, us and United or Liverpool and Everton. Mm-hmm. Not only do we have listeners in the States, we have got guys that started following the Steelers just because you do. So, <laughs> uh, so there it is. Now, there's another chap in the background who tends to make an appearance on this pod from time to time. We have the producer of City Fan TV on YouTube, Mr. Ray Bubbles. How are you doing, Ray? Mike, I've, uh, I've uh, had better days. I'm all right. I mean, I'm actually, coincidentally, in the land of the wolves. I, I'm not somewhere in the in the black country or in the, uh, around Birmingham. I'm actually in Wolfsburg today. And um, to let people know, I mean, I'm, I'm sure your listeners are really interested to know I'm, I'm working at a science centre here doing bubble shows, uh, science-based bubble shows. I spent a lot of my time in soap bubble uh, liquid and uh, detergent. The detergent in the after a few days is extremely painful and you get raw, red raw hands and even up down my arms as the liquid fills there. I'm actually in excruciating pain because of that. But it's not as bad as what we city did. Well, guys, uh, for all of you listening, that you, you probably uh, know already that the three of us are men of a certain age. And uh, this kind of thing used to be weekly for us, didn't it, Colin? This kind of result. Well, I was saying on Twitter earlier that um, it, it's almost a tribute to, to where we are now as a club, as a team that we get so het up about a defeat and and the manner of it because the way we play today was so far off our normal high standards that would have been a typical game you know what 15 years ago Absolutely. And uh, Ray, I think it was um, the boxing champion, Ricky Hatton, who once famously said that he would be preferred to be back in the old days uh, because uh, obviously there was a, you know, a greater sense of camaraderie in the trenches and gallows humor and everything else. Would you would you share those views? No, it's important to know where you've come from, but you've got to move forward with the times. It's like um, there was a video on Twitter. and I'm not going to go into get into the old Brexit debate. 
but there was a, I just saw something on on Sky, I think on Sky News, and you had some some people up uh, sounded like they were from the northeast, and they were in, briefly interviewing them, and this one of the chaps said probably probably late fifties, and he said he wanted the empire back, and he said that's what we should have, and it's it's like that, you you can't go back to the past, you've got to move forward with the times. Uh, I mean, if we could if we could live in the past, then Bernardo Silva's tweet would be uh, be nothing wrong with it. Just to quote um, the great Gatsby. When the leading character is challenged with, you can't repeat the past, he famously answers, you can't repeat the past? Why, of course you can. And it felt like that tonight. We've got an opening question for Colin Savage. I don't know who's got a beef with Colin Savage to ask him this question, but we're going to ask it anyway. It feels like, you know, asking someone to outline quantum theory. How do you cure profligacy in front of goal, Colin? If I knew the answer to that, I wouldn't be sitting here. I'd be sitting in Pep Guardiola's luxurious apartment in the city centre. I don't know how, because you can, you know, it's one of the great questions. You can train all week. And you can take shots in practice. You can take them from all sorts of angles. But there, when you're on the pitch and the pressure's on and perhaps your confidence is low and the crowd are on your back, it becomes a completely different matter. But I don't think today you could say we were profligate because I don't think we had many chances at all. I think the ones we had, actually, we did well to get. I'm I'm struggling to think of uh, any too many occasions earlier where you thought, well, we should have scored that. In fact, I can't think of any. How do you cure the lack of creation of chances, Colin? Well, obviously, I think we're <laughs> going to talk about that. What what you don't do is stick in aimless highballs uh, mm-hmm. against a defence which each member each member is taller than your striker by at least a foot. And also, you don't try little tippy tappy things on the edge of a packed area where where they're throwing bodies in the way. If we've not really grasped how to create the chances, we can certainly agree on how not to create them. Well, let's uh, go over to Ray. Well, Ray, if uh, crosses into the box against six-foot-plus defenders doesn't work and tippy-tappy in front of a massed defence doesn't work, Ray, what will work? Good to ask John Barnes for the answer. I'm sure I said this last time. You've got to get around the back. There's only one way to beat them. Get around the back. Catch the if you want to beat them, you've got to get round the back. And uh, I don't think we did that often enough. Uh, there was one occasion, I think, late in the second half when we, we got round the back on the right side, uh, put a ball in, and Bernardo hit the defender when I, I think hopefully would score. But that was a, a, a very, very good opportunity by getting round the back. You know, it's something that Sam Lee asked in the post-match press conference. And I'd, it's a stat that um, had cropped up last season, actually mentioning the, the rabble across um, uh, in, in Trafford. It's something that they did under Moyes as well. Well, you see teams where they haven't got an idea what to do, but they just lump the ball in the box. United did it in the famous game when they put about 40 crosses in, aimless crosses, I think they drew nil-nil with their opponents. Liverpool have done it when they when they when they're devoid of ideas, and City have done it. And actually, the, what Sam uh, Lee said to Pep and Pep, Foster uh, didn't even know this stat, and he just kind of uh, poo-pooed it. He said, when City lose, City put more crosses in. When we lost to Palace last season at home, we put more crosses in than in any other game. So there is a, it would appear, there could be well be a correlation between putting lots of crosses in. I call it hits and hope football. Just pop it in, in, in the box. Hits and hope, we're putting more crosses in when we're losing games. And, and 
And Pep basically said, bah humbug to that. I hope he's actually looking into some of the stats to understand what works and what doesn't. You'd, you'd like the, uh, the analysts are telling him, but pumping high balls into the box when you, you know, when you got people like Sergio Aguero, who's whatever, five foot nine or five foot ten in the box. And I'm, I might be being kind to him. You got Riyad Mahrez, who doesn't want to jump higher than his shadow, and you got Raheem Sterling, who's five foot seven. So who's going to win the, the, these headers uh, against six foot two, six foot three attackers? It's not going to happen. I don't like the look of this next question, but uh, it, someone does have it in for Colin Savage because again, it's addressed to him, Colin Savage, and I quote. There are unknown tribes in remote parts of Outer Mongolia <laughs> that know you don't play David Silva with Ilkay Gundogan. Why does Pep persist with this? Uh, it's a very good question because uh, we've had this conversation before about uh, and neither. I'm not saying, you know, not tr- neither of them are bad players. They're both very, very good, experienced, international. I mean, David Silva is world class and Gundogan is you know, it gets a lot of criticism, but he's a very, very good player. But what they're not is they're not mobile. They're the sort of players who sit back, dictate the rhythm of the game. And we've said this before with David Silva. He's the guy who works between the lines. He finds that little space between the lines. When the opposition don't give you any space, he is useless. I don't mean he's a useless player, but the way he plays brings nothing to the table. What you need when you're playing against a defence like that, and I've said this before, I'm I'm no coach, so it's only my opinion, uh, and it could well be wrong, is because they were very disciplined and very organised. What you need is either you get round the back, uh, and we said this on Tuesday, that we weren't doing this enough. We weren't using that that channel just outside the, the edge of the penalty area or using the diagonals which we normally use so well. And I think Wolves had cut those out a little bit. But but when a team plays narrow, there is always a chance of getting round the back. And we weren't doing that at all. The other way I think you make chances for yourself is you run at players. You pull players out of position. Because if you get past one player, someone else has got to cover. And that creates a little bit of space. Now, the David Silva nor Gundogan are the player who could the player who could do that for you. If only we had a player who's famed for running at defences, not on the injury bench. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, Leroy Sane would have been one for that, wouldn't he? But, you know, Raheem Sterling had a dismal game. Never looked like he had the ball under control when he had it most of the time. But, you know, we had two players on the bench, uh, Bernardo Silva and Phil Foden, who can make those runs. Then we brought Bernardo Silva on, and I thought he was going into midfield to perhaps replace David Silva. But no, he, he takes Maras off and sticks Bernardo on the wing. I wouldn't say you don't play Gundogan and David Silva, Gundogan and David Silva together, full stop. But you don't play them against a team like Wolves because they offer you a very static, talented but static midfield. And that is no good, particularly when you've got a player like Aguero up front. And again, we've said this before, that Gabriel Jesus... Whatever Aguero gives us, and I'm not going to knock Aguero, goal scorer par excellence, but whatever he gives you, Gabriel Jesus gives you that movement. That he, he has the ability to come deep and do something with the ball, where Aguero is not quite so good in that situation. If you've got a half chance, then you put Aguero in. But 
Pep has messed about with Aguero and Gabriel Jesus, and I'm not sure he's done it right because it tends to be when one's on a roll, he takes them off, puts the other one in. And and I think I'd have played Gabriel Jesus, I'd have started Gabriel Jesus today because he gives you that little bit more movement. He comes deeper. He can do things with the ball. And all right, he's, he's offside 90% of the time, but you know he will create that little bit of movement. He'll come back, win the ball, play it off and then be on, on perhaps on the other end uh, running into the area on the other end of the ball whereas Aguero doesn't isn't quite that sort of player he's a better player than he was in that situation but uh, Jesus is still i think the better player when you you need a striker to come deep a little bit more work yeah. ray reports in the press that uh, city were trying to um, flog gabby j to bayern munich uh, what did you think of that <laughs> It's a shame this is a podcast, otherwise uh, you could have seen what I think of that. I think it's an absolute fabrication. It's from a guy at a spot built in, in Germany, Mr. Falke. He can Falke off as far as I'm concerned because he seems to be full of it in, in recent times. And you only have to go and look at uh, on Twitter and on social media about some of the things he's been caught out with, not just by our very own Rabin, but people in Germany. Uh, who said, look, you know, he's, he's basically, they, they feel he's making stuff up. He's lost the ear of Uli Hernes, uh, that convicted criminal. I wouldn't believe a sense of it, especially because I don't think Gabby Jesus is worth 100 million euros. Um, but I, I just think it's just made up. Un- unless I see any corroborating evidence, it's, uh, it's fabricated. Colin Savage, here's a lovely question. If Otamendi is the answer, what is the question? <laughs> don't tempt me. Yeah, does anyone want a defender who hasn't got the brains he was born with and insists on diving in, uh, completely missing his tackle when a player is about to go through on goal? I thought we cured him of that. I thought so too. I'm just going to chime in here. I thought last season he he kind of put that to bed. In the last yeah. few seasons, doing it much more infrequently. And then today, when we start making mistakes and stupid, silly mistakes that put our defence under pressure, it gets other players nervous. Players who might have been playing all right up to then, they get the jitties, they get the willies, and they start making mistakes and and being tentative. And that's what I saw in that first half. I think was it Mares give the ball away. He lingered on the ball a little bit and then played it across one of the defenders, and the ball was. Uh, intercepted by uh, a Wolves player. I think Otamendi himself was guilty of the same and that put us under pressure and, and, and I think on each occasion Wolves could quite easily have scored a goal. One of them is a great recovery from uh, Fernandinho. I think that's an, that's an issue for me is that once we start you know, cocking up let's say to put a better finer point on it than that once someone starts messing up other people become nervous and they start making uncharacteristic mistakes and I think that contributed to Otamendi because I just think he, he lost his head and he could have taken even a red card but if, I think if he just blocked the, the fellow coming through instead of letting him um, tap it under him and dive in, into the ball just block him you'd have taken a yellow card possibly a red at worst but I, I think it had got done for obstruction take that and, and do not dive and stay on your feet as long as you can so that was a mistake and it, it led to that first goal so it's, it's disappointing as you say we thought we'd cured him but it looks like this Whatever the disease is, it comes back uh, from time to time and uh, it can cause a lot of trouble. Yeah, you could, uh, in moments like that, you can just see the jitters spreading through the city uh, backline. Um, Colin Savage, uh, Ray has been on this pod at pains to let everybody know that we can't just go in for defensive reinforcements in January because to do so would mean uh, taking someone or dropping someone from our 
squad list, but uh, surely we have the solution here. Just drop Otamendi. <laughs> well, yeah, at the moment, who do you bring in? Koulibaly. Otamendi. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Otamendi would have to go, I think. But then we're in the same situation, aren't we? We've got Stones, Laporte and A.N. Other. Three defenders. There's the youngsters, Garcia and Howard Bellis. I don't know. Uh, I mean, Pep made the point himself. Um, you know, when you're chasing titles, you can't necessarily throw caution to the wind or throw the youngsters in. But I think we saw Preston that Garcia and Harwood Bellis looked a lot more assured than Otamendi did today. But, of course, it was a different, completely different environment. You know, you're playing a championship team, albeit a decent championship team. And today we were playing a team that people thought might be a top six contender. I never thought they would be this season. But a team that in its first season of the Premier League got into the European position to go seventh place. We, we, we are one light, I think, on the um, homegrown players. So the question is, by the time United have finished, they'll be so short of money that uh, they might be looking to offload Harry Maguire. But he's not impressive. Is he really the sort of player we want? Phil Jones! Give us Phil Jones! <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> well, Otamendi, Otamendi, you know, you can get 89 really good minutes out of him and then you'll get one minute of just sheer stupidity. And, and it seems that no matter what Pep does, as we just said, you can't knock that minute of sheer stupidity out of him. I'm going to go against the grain, as is my want and my opinion. It's not just, the blame cannot just be applied to defenders. And I think that's what a lot of people are doing. They're, saying, they're pointing the finger at defenders. Uh, I've got a still in front of me, Osamendi diving in. But it's not just the defenders who are making the mistakes. One of the issues we've got is, this season, we've conceded a lot more attempts at goal than we would ever do. I mean, Everton, Everton had eight eight shots on goal. That's unheard of. Um, even Spurs had two shots against. Uh, it's unheard of for Everton, full stop. Yeah, exactly. So we're letting people like Norwich have four shots on target. It, it's it's ridiculous, and we don't. The thing is, we do not generally, especially last season, we do not con- concede so many opportunities against us. We don't concede. Sometimes we don't even concede shots, let let alone shots on target. And we're letting so many opportunities, you know, we're giving so many opportunities to the opposition at the moment. So it's not just the defender's fault. Ray, that actually brings us very nicely to our next question, which I'm going to direct to you as you're on a roll here. Is that honeymoon over for Rodri? Well... I better be careful what I say because I, there's a lot of people out there who have been singing his praises and um, I've not been as enthusiastic as some of the others. I'm not, I'm not, please don't get me wrong. I'm not saying he's a poor player, he's not a good player. I said from very early on, he's got things to learn. Yeah, he's got things to learn from Fernandinho. And I, I still maintain at the start of the season, after the first couple of games I saw of Rodri, that Fernandinho was better than Rodri. Okay. But Rodri's 22 and I said, I believe he'll be better than Fernandinho. Might take him two or three seasons, but he will be better than Fernandinho. So you've got to give him the, um, give him the go because he's actually pretty decent. And he's generally, he was dropping seven or eight out of 10 performances every week. Sometimes you, people, um, show me his stats and say, look at his stats, his passing stats, 68 passes, uh, attempted, 68 completed. Football's a bit more than stats. You know, we had 78% possession or something today. Football's a bit more than stats. There's a game in the Champions League a couple of seasons ago. I can't remember who it was against. Colin will probably remember. Well, we had was about a thousand passes or something and we lost the game. You can't just look at their stats. You've got to look, use your own eyes and, and sometimes don't agree with other people. Don't listen to other people. Use your own eyes 
has come up with your own ideas, come to your own conclusions. And, I, and I'll say Rodgers is a very, he looks like a very good player. Some shrewd judges have uh, said that they expect him to go to the very top. So I can't argue with them. You know, far better people than you or I. But he's still got things to learn. Lump him in with Gundogan and the David Silva today. Uh, it's, it's the same as having Fernandinho there with those two guys last season. For me, it's a recipe for. I, I don't want to say disaster. I don't want to, you know, I don't want people camps outside me. Don't want to come back to the UK uh, for criticising, you know, City. But I, fortunately, most City fans aren't like Liverpool fans, and they probably wouldn't do that. But it, we, for all the good that David Silva does, and all the good that. Ilke Kondoman does, yeah? When they're playing with KDB, I have no problem. But when they're playing together, this something happens, okay? And it's not like one plus one equals two or two and a half. It's one plus one equals one and a half. They're taking away from each other somehow. And it is that lack of pace that, I, that worries me. I wanted, someone asked me what, if my team uh, yesterday, what would, who would be my team? And I had Bernardo Silva pairing David Silva in the middle of the park. And I said, this won't happen because Pep will shoehorn Gundogan into the side at the expense of Bernardo. And that's what happened. And we suffered uh, because of it. So going back to your original question, is the honeymoon period over Roderick? I can see Roderick carrying on playing. I don't think we're going to drop him out. He needs to keep playing and to develop in that position, which kind of makes you think, well, if we're prepared to see we, we accept how good Rodgers is going to be. He's 22 years old. We accept that he's going to be an exceptional player, but we have to play him to give him that experience to become that exceptional player. I might ask you the next question. <laughs> Colin Savage, let me ask you uh, this question or put this point to you. We, I remember back in the day when we were beating all and sundry and racking up records, we used to... Um, relax over cigars and talk about whether Liverpool had a better defence than us. I think that question's been long since settled. Do Wolves have a better defence than us, in the absence of Laporte? Better? Well, they defended better today, but they had virtually 10 men behind the ball most of the game. I don't say that as a criticism. I mean, they were fairly well organised. They, they shut us down and we don't play that way. So it's hard to say. I mean, on paper, I don't think Wolves have got a better defence than us. And when you certainly when you look at the um, league table, what we're looking at the league table, Wolves, they've conceded 11 goals to our nine. Not much in it then. So there's not much in it. I wouldn't say they've got better defence than us, but the way they defended today was better than was better than the way we defended. That's that's for sure. But if all you've got to do as a defender is defend, it's a totally different ball game. If that's all you're focused, and you've got you know, and you've got four players in front of you who are defending as well. Which, as we saw today, when we're defending, we've only got two back. So uh, you know, Otamendi and Fernandinho had to cover the Wolves' attack on their own. We don't play with that base. We play a high line. And we don't play, you know, a small gap between the midfield and the defenders, as Wolves were doing today. Ray, there's a lovely little tweet that came up. I don't know if you noticed it from a, a Twitter account called Fat Toasty. And uh, there's a picture of a bat swimming in a lake. The comment is, Cancelo and Zinchenko can both play left back, but just because a bat can swim doesn't make it a fish. What do you think? I think he means uh, that they're not left backs. <laughs> look, I had a go at somebody who said, went through a list of all our injuries then I said don't mention them so I'm, I don't want to mention the injuries but but <laughs> look Ben Mendy I wanted him to, to be our left back we got by and people seem to forget this I have to repeat this we got by 
last season and the season before using Fabian Delph as a left back, using Zinchenko as a left back. We got by last season when Kyle Walker had a huge dip in form. Yeah, but that's hardly a blueprint for the future, though, is it, Ray? You know, if if 100, 100 points are not your kettle of fish, if 98 points in a um, domestic treble are a blueprint for the future, then I, I, honestly, I don't know what is. So then um, bring back Delph, then. <laughs> I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is, it's a combination of kind of trusting Pep, even though I've always said trust Pep, even though apart from the first season when I thought, what the hell's going on? I, I still say you got to trust him but I'm all right to question it's all right to have an opinion otherwise what's the point of watching football and, and what's the point of having those grey cells in, in, in your brain uh, so you can question uh, what, what he does but I use the words we got by, but we got 100 points and 98 points, and it just doesn't collapse like like that. It doesn't go that quickly. And, I, and I'll repeat, I'll reiterate what I said earlier. It's not just the defenders that defend. One of the reasons uh, I said this on, on several pods that Zinchenko and, and Dell got by, as I put uh, it, and left back was because we had 70 odd percent possession and there weren't many opportunities that the other teams had against us. The more opportunities that teams have against you, the more pressure they put on you, the more the likelihood that we're going to make a mistake at the back. Someone like Otamendi or Zinchenko or whoever will make a mistake and that will lead to a goal. So it's, it's, it's a team game. So there's issues in other areas of, on, of the pitch. It's not just down to the defenders and people are blaming Otamendi as if it's solely his fault that the, the problems at the back are pretty much 90% Otamendi's fault. And I dispute that. And I will stand up for the general and say it's it's certainly not down to him that we're letting in goals. Well, that, that's an interesting point, Ray, because um, I was listening to your YouTube channel earlier and you were responding to the points made by the people who were uh, participating. When they mentioned this player and that player, you were saying that uh, it's not about that. It's not about who was not there and and who wasn't uh, in the starting lineup. But uh, Colin Savage, it's pretty obvious that um, Sam Lee was listening into Ray's YouTube <laughs> channel because, uh, quick as a flash, he posted up this on Twitter. He said, Colin, it's hard to work out what's going wrong for a team without their best centre-back, their best left-back, their best midfielder, and not quite best but still important winger. I think there was a touch of sarcasm in there, Colin. What do you think? I think you could be right there. It's always hard to tell, isn't it? But yeah, I mean, that, that's part of the problem. Kevin De Bruyne would have been perfect today because he does have the ability. He will take the ball on and he will run and pull players out of shape and create things. And he also has the ability to have a crack from distance, which something else. I mean, the, the chances we had today were from distance. Yet we persisted in trying to, you know, work our walk, walk the ball into the net. Really, little flicks and and trying to play the ball through the eye of a needle that we we, we tried to do. But it was perfectly obvious after the first half, certainly after the, that it wasn't going to work. But yeah, we're missing players, and, and and it doesn't help. You know, Sane, you, you would have brought Sane on to have a run at that defence and get behind them, as you say, and and and, and uh, disrupt them. And Kevin De Bruyne could have done that. You know, Laporte might have done better. Laporte and Stones might have done better against the two goals we we get. We we just don't know, do we? But yeah, we still should have enough 
in that team. It doesn't help that we haven't got those players at all, but we still should have enough in that team to have done more than we did today. That, that's the point that, that Ray made. Last season, for a major part of the season, we did not have our best midfielder in Kevin De Bruyne. For a vast majority of last season, we did not have our best left-back in Ben Mendy. For huge portions of last season, especially the second half of the season, uh, Leroy Sane cut a dejected figure and he wasn't starting games. And when he came on, he was, most of the time, Liverpool apart, he was ineffective. And we didn't have until right at the death, Vincent Company. So we had... you. you it, it, Transport yourself back only a, you know three or four months when those players weren't playing. We were still winning games. We were still grinding out. In the last 14 games, we ground out four 1-0 wins, I believe. So we were still putting up those wins. We were still getting the results one way or the other. Now, this this game, we didn't have those players. Same as last season, but we were not grinding out a result. You know, it's different. And Sam Lee's just put something on Twitter now in the last 20 minutes. And he's doing an article about the fact that Gundogan and Silver maybe are too similar to play together. Well, you know, I, I don't know if he's done an article about that before, but if he hasn't, he's took his time to come to the conclusion that a lot of City uh, fans have um, had for a while now. Um, but he also says the more he looks at the game, including how Wolves play, the more he thinks they weren't really helped by what was going on around them, much of which wasn't really their fault. Really, is there anybody that you can point the finger at today and say, you gave us a 7 out of 10 or an 8 out of 10 performance today. Is there anybody that you could say that for? Or, you know, even more than 5 or 6? I don't understand. And this is puzzling me. How can we have another collective hard game? Well, just sticking with Sam Lee, uh, Colin, he makes a very interesting suggestion. He says that when Stones comes back fit after the international break... He says what you do is you keep Fernandinho in and you pick one from Otamendi and Stones. And he's arguing that on the basis of uh, a lot of the things that Fernandinho did in this particular game, including that pretty amazing double block, that uh, Fernandinho should stay and it should be one of Otamendi and Stones. What do you think about that one, Colin? Uh, I, I've heard worse ideas. Fernandinho is the is probably the player we can most rely on in that defence, isn't it, at the moment? You know, Stones, obviously he's been injured, we're not quite sure. And there was always this little doubt about John Stones anyway. Uh, Otamendi, we know, Otamendi is Otamendi. You know, as I say, you'll get 89 great minutes out of him and then one minute of sheer stupidity. I think the only reason, Otamendi, you know, if some company had assigned for another year... I'm pretty sure Otamendi would have gone. Well, it's funny you mentioned Vincent Company there, Colin, because a lot of people have been saying that we miss his leadership. They're not talking about the fact that he would come and be an, an, an instant cure-all for our defensive woes, but they are saying that we're missing something in his leadership skills. Is there anything in that, do you feel? I've heard two sides of this. One is that we are missing his his leadership. The other is he was rather too dominant and not not allowing other leaders to develop in the changing rooms. I always remember Mark Hughes. I mean, right, you know, quoting Mark Hughes as a uh, an oracle on management is maybe uh, making myself a hostage to fortune. But I remember Mark Hughes saying it was kind of the united way in his way was to have a lot of basically to have leaders in the dressing room so the dressing room would be self-regulating so we had people like Craig Bellamy for example and we had Vinny and we had you know a few others in there who were Gareth Barry James Milner who were probably 
very vocal and and the manager wouldn't need to crack down and the dressing room probably was quite a self-regulating place the players would take it on on themselves to sort out problems with with perceived problems with other players when you've got someone like Vinny in there the, the danger is that everyone looks to Vinny and that his his way is his way or the highway I heard that the phrase Vinny could could suck all the air out the dressing room they've got I'm to survive sure. without him well, we've got to survive without him, yeah. And I'm not sure, you know, would Vinny's leadership have been enough to find a way through the Wolves' defence? Yeah, good uh, point. You know, I'm not sure it would, no. Well, Ray, Gary Lineker at least offers us a small crumb of comfort when he says, and I think there may be a little bit of irony in here too, he says, surely it's Liverpool's title now. It's not like they've given up substantial leads before. Well, I, I said that on one of my uh, streams tonight. I said, I hope Liverpool on top of the table come Christmas Day. That's my hope, because if I'm correct, they're the only side who've been leading the Premier League on Christmas Day who've given up the title. So, uh, fingers crossed that, that continue. Uh, hopefully, it's not eight points clear on Christmas Day. Hopefully, it's a five, um, which I, I think would mean we would have beaten them. Uh, but look, it's theirs to lose. United got no chance. Well, it's um, interesting you mentioned that word United, actually, Ray. I'm going to take this over to Colin Savage. A nice quote, well, I say nice quote, an interesting quote from David Mooney of um, the Blue Moon podcast. And he says, that performance tonight was straight out of the 2012-13 and the 2014-15 seasons. Dominate the ball, 76% possession, for those of you who don't know. Create very little. Lucas shambles in defence and then meekly finish second. Uh, Colin Savage, here's a question for you. On that performance, would United have got a point against us today? <laughs> well, I did say on Twitter myself that... Um... We were so poor today that we would have struggled against United. Yes, we were that poor. No, I think United would have been a different kettle of fish. I think we've got to give Wolves some credit, a lot of credit here, because they were very a bit like um, Zagreb to, to, to a large degree, who we struggled to break down. They were very organised. They had a plan. They came. They executed it perfectly. That all their players put in wonderful performances. I mean, every time we got the ball, there were there seemed to be about six Wolves players in front of the ball protecting the. Uh, protecting the goal and the number of times they got bodies in the way or yeah on on I think three occasions we did breach the defensive wall Rui Patricio pulled off good saves but United are not a shambles uh yeah you know if we've been we would have got a lot more room to play they wouldn't have executed a defensive plan any way as effectively as Wolves did today despite my mine and David's sarcasm think that um uh, I, I don't think we have much, too much to worry about Here's a question for Ray before before he gets started. Ray, have you noticed, not only this season, but in the last few seasons, we actually play bad teams back into form? I, I, keep, I, I keep remembering this experience uh, again and again. It's a team from the lower part of the league table that have been playing crap, that have been on a run of losses, and the game that gets them back on track is the game against us. It's 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 this has happened more than once. So you look at the case of Norwich have lost three on the spin since they took what? us down. I mean, Ray, what is this? Is, I thought it was the other way around that once teams have beaten City, 
it takes so much out of them that they go on, on to, to lose their next it's game. It's another way of I looking at it, I suppose, yeah. It happens, I think it happened to Newcastle last season, Leicester as well. Actually, I'm slightly uh, disturbed that our next game is against Crystal Palace. Oh, yeah. Because they've got a cracking away record going back about six months or something. And actually, uh, I've not got the stats to hand, but they're actually doing pretty well, uh, I think, since the turn of the year in terms of points. And they're not far behind City. So uh, that, that's a little bit of a worry. But going back to um, United, I don't know if you've seen the picture. Someone took a picture in the uh, Lumetari's chippy over there and it looks like Sam Allardyce is there getting pie and chips. Now, I'm, I'm just curious why Sam Allardyce would be near Old Trafford. Oh, well, I, I think people big. can pe- people can um, figure that one out for themselves but to Colin Savage, since that we're we're quoting and referring to all of our friends in the in the city sphere to avoid, to desperately avoid talking about what went on on the pitch here's a nice quote from um Emily, she's the one from the Forever Blue podcast at Kipax Girl, Emily. Um, and she summarizes what she saw as wolves were stubborn, resolute, organized and clinical. They deserve all the praise, but Pep should tear them a new one after that. No intensity, brain dead, errors, balls into the box against huge defenders, no desire, frustrating to see. That seems to be a pretty good summary of what we saw. I couldn't argue with any of that. I know Emily quite well, and um, she's quite switched on uh, football-wise, and yet that's pretty. That's a pretty fair summary. And I think we. Um, I, I. The only thing I could add to that is we weren't moving the ball quickly. <laughs> yeah, and the one thing that got me today, and they were laughing at me, ran well received. Uh, we came to take free kicks uh, where we had that were close to the Wolves area. And of course, the standard at free kicks, if you're not, if we're not taking it directly, so we're going to put the ball into the box, into the danger area, the players, our players will line up on the shoulders of the defenders. And as soon as the ball comes in, they will move forward. And it happened at least three times that I counted. And if you, if you don't get that right, you'll be caught offside. And I don't know if anyone else noticed this, but it seemed to sum up our performance today. At least three times we, we had the free kick lined up. The player, whoever it was, Gundogan or David Silva, went to kick the ball and stopped. And so all the players, Aguero and, and um, Sterling and whoever, had made the runs, were, were about three yards offside by this time. So they've got to come back. And then they do it again. And absolutely, by the th- third or fourth time they did that, I was going absolutely spare. Because it, it kind of summed up the indecision and the lack of you know, the, the lack of intelligence and brain dead is a perfect word for it because we were brain dead today. The th- some of the things we did that we, you just wouldn't see City doing in a normal game. Colin Savage, I've got a, uh, one just just one more point to ask to you before we go over to Ray. You've seen the um, the recurring uh, comedic scene in movies, haven't you? Where a, a, a young lady gets jilted by her boyfriend and. She goes back home and pulls out a big tub of ice cream to comfort herself. Uh, Colin, who do you think would have put this tweet on Twitter? I'm off to get the biggest pizza I can find. Any guesses? Let me give you a few clues. He wears dark glasses and looks like a young Prince Nassim Hamid. Well, uh, can you shed some yeah. light on that, Ray? It was the biggest pizza I could find. It, it wasn't big enough. It didn't. It didn't put me to sleep, which is what. I, <laughs> It's comfort eating at its best. I actually think I did the comfort eating before the game when I had two ice creams. I got it the wrong way around. Look, I, w- I want to say something that Pep said. Um, he, This is what Pep said in the post-match press conference. He said, Dino, Fernandino and Otamendi suffered 
because we lost possession in positions. Yeah. Uh, we cannot lose possession. So we, we were basically giving the ball away and putting the defenders under a sort of pressure that they shouldn't have been put under. Mares did it, Ocumendi did it itself. But you're giving the ball away when we've got about eight players in the opposition half, eight nine players, and you just cannot give the ball away and expect someone like Fernandinho or Ocumendi himself to come out and save your bacon every time. And I think that the three things I've, I've I wrote straight away, we lack quality, we lack creativity, it's in whole football. And and if you're giving the ball away time and time again in dangerous positions, in areas like Pepe's, positions we cannot afford to lose it, something's going to give eventually. And, and that's what happened. That, that second goal came from our free kick, if I remember rightly. And that's what I wanted to talk about, Colin. We, we should talk about the goals. I mean, this is a City podcast. We did, we, we did lose 2-0, so let's talk about the goals. No, let's not. Oh, come on. Come on. Come <laughs> well, on. It's very sad. Both both goals came from us losing possession very cheaply. Again, the, the first one, a move broke down. And Wolves, despite the fact they had a lot of men behind the ball, moved it forward quickly in a way which we would normally do, but we couldn't seem to do today. There are only a couple of occasions where we, we had a break on. And even then, you know, we would slow it down. I think Mares was one. Uh, we had a break on. Instead of going for it, he, you know, he, he, he took a few touches and then looked behind him. And, and, and as we say, we were absolutely riddled with mistakes today in a way which we, um, you know, just don't associate with City. And Pep was quite right because both those goals came from us giving the ball away. And the second one was particularly criminal because we had the ball free kick halfway in the Wolves half. And I don't quite know what happened. I only saw it once in real time. So I don't quite know what happened, but somehow we contrived, rather than get the ball in the danger area, we contrived to uh, allow uh, Raul Jimenez to intercept it. And um, he just set Adama Traore off. Now, one of the criticisms of Traore in the past has been he's got a lot of pace, but but no end product. Well, I mean, that wasn't true today because um, he got both goals, didn't he? But but both those goals, as we said, came from us losing the ball, not from not from Wolves necessarily creating anything. And, and I was saying this throughout the first half that they could have gone into a lot Wolves because we we, you know, gift wrapped two chances that they didn't take. In fact, there was a third where that Fernandinho yeah. got two blocks on. But there were two where they were one-on-one, and the, the first one they missed, and the second one I think Edison saved, didn't it? But uh, I think both those fell to Catrone, uh, whose perhaps finishing wasn't quite up to scratch. If those had fallen to perhaps uh, Raul Jimenez or, or Traore in the form they were in, uh, we could have gone into 0 down easily. And probably should have done. And we weren't creating anything. And that wasn't any, I said this at half time, that wasn't because Wolves created those chances. It's because we presented them gift wrapped on a silver platter with our compliments. Yeah. I've got to talk, since we're going to, you want to talk through the goals. This is my hit and hope football. I think it was uh, Joao Cancelo. I'll give him the honour of getting his name right. But he he made a pass. I think he was passing to Rodri. He had two world players near him and another player in between him and Rodri. And he still tried to pass it through the eye of a needle. One of the world players intercepted it and it bounced away. He hits it with the outside of his foot. Yeah, it was a hit. It was a hit and hope. We, yes, we had three players somewhere ahead of him, but Wolves had a few players there as well. It was a simple hit and hope ball, which was intercepted, put out to the left. I mean, we, we were two on two. Yes, Otamendi 
dived in. He had the ball semi-nutmegged him or hit under his body, but he did dive in. That's where I say and Fernandinho was left with two on one. That's where I, I think Otamendi, if, even if he'd been yellow carded already, he should have taken a card. He should have blocked the guy and just taken a card or at least stood on his feet. Uh, and then it was pretty much a simple matter of if Ferrari could hit the target, it would be a goal. And if you see Edison afterwards, he... Uh, he was hitting the ground. He was so frustrated, so mad. He must have hit that ground at least six times uh, <laughs> that I saw. He was, you know, it must have uh, killed him to to concede like that. And the second the second goal, uh, briefly, you know, we were on the right. We, we lost the ball inexplicably. It should have been a pass out wide. I think Rodri lost it. And he should have passed it to Bernardo. He's claiming for a free kick, OK? Now, this is what uh, something... I'm just looking at some highlights here. This is something I say about Rodri. And this infuriates me. He's asking for a free kick. He never put any effort in to get back. He lost the ball. He put no effort in. He just asked for a free kick, which he didn't get. Okay, he had never caught them. And they, um, you know, brought very quickly. And once again, Fernandinho was left one-on-one with Kyrie. And there's only ever going to be one winner there. But you know, Rodri lost the ball. Sorry, you know, when, when I played football, it was, you lose the ball, you do your best. You try your damnest to actually get the ball back. So, with two goals that we presented to them we, we presented them with the opportunities don't take anything away from Wolves they they took those opportunities they, they helped to create uh, the goal even though we, we said here we started them off we passed them the baton and they ran with it and they, they scored the two goals they deserved their win they created the ch- uh, clear-cut chances and we certainly didn't Colin Savage, we're not going to do what we did last time um, and try to rate the players out of 10. I mean, that would be a, a, an exercise in extreme futility. But is there any player or players that emerged out of this debacle with any credit at all in your view? No. Maybe Fernandinho. Perhaps that's been a, a bit of... Uh, Ederson you know, did what he had to do, did it well. I say maybe Fernandinho or the outfall players, but you go through them. Walker, I was already saying, supposedly Walker was injured, but uh, I was already saying before half-time, I'd take him off because he was awful uh, and and costing us. Otamendi we've spoken about. Fernandinho was okay. Even Cancelo started off looking the best of a bad bunch, but then the rest of them dragged him down to their level. uh, And he was making mistake after mistake, even when he moved on to his favoured right side. I thought he did okay on the left. Rodri, probably the worst performance. And, you know, we've said about Rodri how well he's settled in. We were talking about this at the match today that, you know, when a player comes into a pep team, it takes a year, a season, for Pep to unprogram him and then reprogram him in the Pep way. But Rodri seems to have w- walked into the team and done really well. But even he had a shocker today. I mean, he was giving the ball away an awful lot. David Silva was completely anonymous and. and I say he's not the right player. I've always said he is not the right player for that sort of game. Do you think Philip Foden would have made a bit of a difference? What we needed in that game, as Colin said very, very early on, we needed something different. We needed someone to run at them. If we're not going to get around the back yet, then run at them directly. Commit them. Get them to get past the first man. Get other people out of position. Don't pump crosses in. Hit and hold football. Um, Personally, I would have liked, as I said earlier, Bernardo Silva to start with David Silva. But Bernardo Silva to be that person who can take somebody on as well as thread a uh, ball through. Phil Foden could have done that and I would have liked to have seen Phil Foden. I understand where Pep's coming from and I know it's very difficult for managers to trust young players uh, and they, they keep going back to the tried and tested players uh, because you know, titles are on the line, manage, managers' jobs are on the line but at some point you've got to say, you know, the same way we, with Rodri, if you ask 
ask me now, who's better, Fernandinho or Rodri? I'll say Fernandinho at uh, holding midfielder. But he's not playing there because Rodri is the future. And so if you ask me, uh, is Phil Foden going to be one of the best you know, players that, that we've had at City? If, if Pep's saying that, then surely the guy needs, needs some game time. I'm, you know, I'm not um, uh, one of these who's really going in for it big time with both feet into Pep and saying, play Phil Foden. But if you're going to turn around and say he's the best player you've ever had, then at some point, he's got to get the, that experience and he's got to develop to be that best player. Rodgers only 22, Foden's 19. But when is Foden going to get his chance? Just to pick up on uh, just a thread that you tugged at there, Ray, just over to Colin Savage. First of all, uh, Colin, have you ever seen Game of Thrones? Of course, yes. Watched it all the way through. Well, here is a particular scene that I'd like to refer to uh, as a prelude to this question. There is a scene between Jamie Lannister and Ned Stark. They're squaring off against each other and measuring the length of each other's uh, appendages. Jamie Lannister asks Ned Stark why Ned doesn't fight in jousts. And the response from Ned Stark is, I don't want my opponents to see what I can do. And Jamie Lannister compliments him and says, good answer. Now, the thing is that nobody really knows what Philip Foden can do. Well, we do, but the rest of the league are, I'm sure, pretty, they, they pretty much don't know exactly what he can do. The point that I'm making is that his particular unknown quantity is something that could have made a huge difference potentially in this game, particularly with that lack of mobility that uh, we've talked about. Is it becoming a bit of a burden now, Pep's um, unwillingness to to let this particular dog fly in, in games? Well, it's always always tempting to fall into the trap of thinking the player on the bench is the answer to all your problems. So in one sense, my answer would be, well, leave it to Pep. As we said earlier, what that game needed was a little bit more mobility in the midfield because, as I say, David Silver and Gundogan don't give us that the sort of mobility we need. It's not so much it was Phil Foden himself, but more either him or Bernardo should have been in that midfield instead of either Silver or Gundogan. And the interesting thing was, actually, when, when Bernardo came on, and certainly when Gabriel Jesus came on, we went, yeah, when Bernardo came on, uh, Mares came off, we seemed to change formation to a, from a fairly standard 4-3-3 to a 4-2-3-1. What it seemed to me was that Gundogan dropped back to sit alongside Rodri and Silva moved up behind as a midfield pivot, almost behind Aguero. So it was almost like a 4-2-2-1-1, which seemed to me entirely the wrong thing to do. Because, again, Bernardo or Phil Foden might have been better in that position because, that you know, they just... David Silver had played, uh, you know, he's 32, 33. He played 70 minutes or whatever it was by that, 60 minutes by that time. You, you need someone a bit more mobile playing behind your striker. But but it, it's very tempting to think that Phil Foden is the answer to the question. But we don't really know what the question is. When Bernardo came on, I would have preferred to have seen him go into a midfield position rather than, uh, say, uh, Silva or, or take Gundogan off or, or David Silva. It didn't matter whether it was Foden or Bernardo Silva. It, we still had a better option sitting on the bench, I thought. I'm going to ask this question to Ray. I've, I've asked him it before, and I, and I hope that he forgives me for asking it again. But, uh, Ray, do you have a working theory about why Pep refuses to play Bernardo Silva as an eight? 
absolutely no idea. Obviously, look, Pep knows what the guy's about, uh, wants to sign him. Pep sees him in training. Vastly more experience than uh, we could ever dream of. Maybe Colin has an idea about that. Is there something that you can wrap your mind around that um, that precludes Pep from choosing Bernardo as one of those rampaging eights in front of a defensive midfielder? We saw, we saw, didn't we, in the game against Liverpool last season when we beat them that he was—he's such a scrapper, isn't he? Yes. And, um, yes. and that's, and that's that's just what you want. That's what we needed. I mean, Gundogan again. Gundogan is not a scrapper. De- David Silva can scrap. He's not a scrapper. But he, you know, we're in danger of doing this to death. But he has that ability to take a man on, to change direction, to set himself up for a jump, you know, to to make that as we saw at Old Trafford, to to give himself a you know a foot of space to get a shot in and take it quickly, which is what we needed today because the most success we had, as I said, was from long-range shots. Yet we persisted in in trying to, you know, make an extra pass and, and instead of just someone making a bit of space and having a shot because, you know, the more shots you have, the more chance you have of scoring. And Bernardo would have done that. And I, I, I just simply don't understand. When I saw Bernardo coming on, I thought one of Silver or Gondolin was going off. Um, but, it, but it was Mahrez. Who, and I don't think Mahrez... Had a, a you know, of the three forwards, he was the best. But that's not necessarily saying he was great. He was he was the most productive of the three. You've heard it there, Blues. You've heard of the triumvirate, haven't you? In the Roman Empire, where you had Octavian, Lepidus, and Mark Antony. All you have to do is just give the job to me, Ray, and Cullen. We will sort it out. <laughs> uh, guys, anyway. Looking forward, I guess we have to look forward. The games after the break are rather interesting. As you mentioned, Crystal Palace away on the 19th, Saturday the 19th. Atalanta, who have become the whipping boys of our Group C in the Champions League. Until at, they play us. Until they play us, because we'll, we'll play them into form, as I mentioned we'll earlier. Springboard their, we'll springboard their amazing revival. Absolutely. That's on the 22nd of October, Tuesday night. And then we have Aston Villa at home on the 26th. And uh, finally, for October, we have uh, the fourth round of the EFL Cup against Southampton. Colin Savage, take a look at the league table now with us as we look at it. Oh my goodness, Liverpool are a machine, aren't they? And of course, another dodgy penalty bails them out. Leicester played very well. I'd watch this game. Leicester played very, very well. It's just the whole world wants Liverpool to win this league title. And it seems the referees share that opinion. What did you think? Did you see the game? Uh, no, I was out actually. And um, did you see the penalty uh, uh, at least? I've seen the penalty incident, and it. You know, would we have got? We, we've had far more deserving cases turned down for penalties than that. Was it a clear and obvious error? That because they tend to stick with the on-field decision, unless it's a clear and obvious error, don't they? That that seems to be the, the thinking. Although their definition of a clear and obvious error seems to differ from the, you know what most people would see a clear and obvious error. You know, I think there was some element of doubt about that penalty, but they, there wasn't enough to overturn it. But I don't know. It's uh, you know again we're saying this at the game to game today. We said last season they're not going to have the same luck they had last season, surely with goalkeeper errors and dodgy penalties. Yet so far they do seem to be having that luck. But if we're good enough, we should be able to overcome that. Not they like we will. haven't done it before. <laughs> it's not like we haven't done it before. So I'm not going to get, you know, there's 30 games to go. I'm not going to get too upset. Obviously, eight points is a big gap. We were seven points behind 
in what went December, January when, when we played them. Um, we, we reeled United in in the ninety three twenty. We've got yeah, a bit of a, we've got a bit of form there, don't we, Colin? And, and you know we've not had a very good start to the. I don't think we've. Uh, all right, there was the Watford game. I thought we played reasonably well in the Spurs game, but we didn't take any of the numerous chances. Enough of the numerous chances we we had in that game. But I don't think we played very well. I don't actually think they've played very well. No, isn't it amazing, uh, Colin? I mean, they narrowly beat Sheffield United. They get beaten by Napoli. They were hauled back by Red Bull Salzburg. They narrowly beat Leicester. There was one pundit whose name has escaped me at the moment who has said their luck is... Uh, yeah, I know it was Danny Murphy, actually. They're going to run out of luck at some stage. Do you share that feeling? Well, uh, we hope they do. I mean, that's the, that's the nature of the... The cycle of the Premier League, is it? I'm just looking at their games last season. I mean, did they hit a little? Well, there was a string of draws, wasn't there? Yeah, I mean, they had, again, they had another good start to the season. They drew a couple against us and against Chelsea. But then come January, they had that, you know, well, they lost at the Etihad. Then they had, they drew against Leicester at home. They drew against West Ham away. A couple of games later, they drew at Old Trafford, which seems that they drew at Everton. So they had that little string of, you know, when we were haul, started hauling them in, they did have that little string of draws, yeah, when we were on a on a winning run. Look, we'll go against them, you know, if they carry on winning, if they don't have a bad streak between now and the end of the season, then they'll deserve to win the league. That's all you can say. Absolutely. Um, um, but, but they will, they, you know, I'm sure they will have a, a bad spell at some point, because it usually happens around December, January for most teams. Let's hope it doesn't happen for us. It takes them to get beaten and then they start. Uh, last season, they went on a run of draws. If there's a team that could be feeling more sorry for themselves than us, it's definitely Tottenham Hotspur. My goodness, they came off a massive 7-2 loss against Bayern Munich and went to Brighton and lost 3-0, Ray. What a shame. I <laughs> Never mind. It's weird, isn't it? Again, we're saying this at the game today, that, you know, you look at pre-season, you're looking at City, Liverpool, Spurs being top three, then anyone from Arsenal, Chelsea, United. And all of a sudden, it's looking like, well, wasn't Liverpool to get two of the top four places? And But who else? Leicester looked the best bet at the moment. Yeah, you know, both Arsenal, Chelsea seem to have recovered from from that uh, opening day setback at United. Arsenal not really convincing, but put together you know some decent results. But but those you know those teams around the fourth, fifth, that they haven't got you know they haven't got very good um, records, have they? So it's very much a, a poor, very much a, you know poor the, the the poor relations of uh, Arsenal only one point behind us, Chelsea two points behind us. Well, Colin Savage, I'm going to bring you back in here just to talk about something that did cheer us up very, very slightly, and that was Manchester United losing against uh, Newcastle. I cheered myself up, Colin, by watching Mark Goldbridge. I don't know why. <laughs> I, do, I just don't know why, but it always makes me feel good, whether we win or lose. It's just astonishing. I've got a tweet up here from Duncan Castles with a few stats. Now, he was always known as the apologist for Manchester United, but anyway, he's, he's gone the other way now. Manchester United now are 11 games without an away win, the worst run in three decades. It's the worst league start in over 30 years, 12th after eight games, two wins in the last 13 Premier League games, and they've scored more than one goal just once in the last 17 matches. And Colin, their next game is against Liverpool. Trinity United fan was asking me on Twitter, who did I want to, um, who did I want to win more uh, or less? 
And it's hard to come up with a definitive answer to that. I mean, because both can't lose, unfortunately. But but Liverpool always seem to bottle it, no matter what the disparity in form. Liverpool always seem to bottle it when they go to Old Trafford. So so let's hope you know, a nice nil-nil draw would suit me nicely, that. But the other great stat about United is that Berry have won an away game since United last won one. And they don't... <laughs> And they don't exist anymore. I know. And in, in fact, things have gotten so bad that Solskjaer has deactivated his Twitter. And according to Mark Goldbridge, that's the best tactical decision he's made in weeks. Absolutely amazing. Absolutely amazing, guys. But um, I think unless you guys have got anything more, we might be done for the moment. I don't think uh, we mentioned this in the last podcast. But of course, I take a particular interest in the financial side of football. Manchester United had their annual, well, their, their regular investors call to discuss their latest financial statements. These were unaudited ones to the end, for the year end to 2000, June 2019. And uh, I think their turnover was something like 627 million for the year. But the one thing that was interesting in what Ed Woodward said to the analysts was that because they're not in the Champions League this season, that their revenue will decrease next season. And they're looking at Revenue in the range 560 to 580 million, down from 627 million, I think it was this, this season. Now, my ears pricked up at that because City should be about to announce their, their annual results for 2019. And I actually thought they were going to do it on Friday, but they didn't. The estimates seem to be that that will our revenue will be in the 560 million, 560 to 565 million range. I don't know till it till it's announced. So obviously that puts us below United this year with their 627 million. But then you look at their they're talking about 560 to 580 million next year, i.e. the current financial year. And we've got to add in the Puma deal and um, there's an increased Premier League deal. Not quite sure that might be worth an extra 30 million and maybe 25, 30 million because of the overseas rights deal. So we may be looking at 65 to 70 million before any other commercial deal next season. So add that onto the 560 million and we're looking around the 625, 630 million mark minimum next season. Whereas United are looking at the range five hundred and sixty to five hundred eighty million. Colin, so but I, I, just to, just to, just to come come back at you at that, I've been quoted those figures by uh, Duncan Castles on the Transfer Window podcast, and he says we don't even need to think about that because those figures from Man City have been artificially padded by Abu Dhabi. Of course, yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, as we all know, of that five hundred forty million, uh, five hundred sixty million, we might revenue. Uh, you know, 550 million has come from Shape Mansour's pocket. So basically, we can discount that. So the, the interesting thing is that next year, well, for this financial year, so in 12 months' time, we will be reporting revenues significantly higher than United's. So I think I think by the time we have the next podcast, uh, finances should be uh, out. So we'll, perhaps we'll talk about that a little I more. Just one thing that, that is rather interesting. I've just been flicking through Twitter. Manchester Evening News saying that Manchester City should go for Harry Kane in the summer. This means, what do you think, Colin? Well, I might have agreed with him at one, at one point because uh, I think Kane, we tend to laugh at Kane a, a little bit, but I think as a footballer, he's, he's a decent footballer. But the, the more I've watched him, the more I've seen, he's really not very mobile. And I don't think he would suit us at all. 
you know, Son is more of, of a player. For That's us, what I was he? just but about to say. I knew Did you not take Hyung Min Son, Son Hyung Min. Much more the player for us than than Kane. Yeah. But if we're gonna, you know, if we're gonna start slinging high balls into the box, we may as well go out and get Andy Bloody Carroll. Uh, exactly. Well, that's the thing, Colin. I mean, people have been saying that it's in moments like today when we couldn't find a way past their defence. Uh, that that age old trope that you need a plan B or you need to <laughs> employ something something uh, different. And people were saying, oh, for the days of Ed and Jekko. Something I'd like to edit into this pod was just your comments about Greta Thunberg. Because I think Greta Thunberg would be the best choice as the director of football at Man United. I mean, her going around yelling at people, how dare you? That might do it for them. What do you think, Ray? The thing is, Greta Thunberg, she was at a climate change uh, rally yesterday and she started shouting glazers out. And uh, someone asked her, well, you know, uh, a journalist said, uh, why are you shouting that? And she said, well, the glazers are destroying the dreams and future of millions of Scandinavians. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, I'm, we're just going to wrap it up here. And before we do, as we always do, we just want to express extreme gratitude to our two uh, guests is the wrong word now guys because we are a team we are a triumvirate and uh, we're going to uh, first of all express gratitude to colin savage colin thank you so much for coming on it's been very cathartic i hope it has yeah. been yeah that's a perfect perfect word and also we're so honored to have ray on thank you so much ray for coming on Thank you, Mike. Triumvirate. I've been called many things in my time. Never a triumvirate. Three is the magic number, Ray. Three is the magic number. <laughs> well, guys, we will be with you again after the international break with those games that we talked about. But until then, have one on us and up the blues.